Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of How To Be Sound, the podcast where I, journalist and writer Rosemary McCabe, chat to someone I think might, might just be a little bit sounder than I am. See how my ego has grown since I started doing this podcast. When I started out, I was like, I chat to people who are sounder than I am. And now I'm like, I chat to people who are maybe sounder than I am. Today's guest is no stranger to podcasting. She co-hosted, along with Connor Behan, a pop culture kind of current affairsy podcast called Popsessed that is currently on hiatus, but maybe coming back. It is Holly Shortall. Holly, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored that you would regard me as sound. <laughs> Well, maybe that's why I was hesitating. I was like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You'll know by the end anyway. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, I think people can can do a really good job of making themselves seem, because I've listened to podcasts with people and thought they're really sound and then met them in real life and been like, oh, Oh, really? Or vice versa, you know what I mean? Oh, Like people who I really like and then I listen to them and I'm like, they didn't come across that well. Mm. You have had quite the journey from reality TV stylist (laughs) to illustrator to... What what do you call yourself now? Like, I, I mean, technically you work in marketing, don't you? But kind of campaigner as well. Yeah, I work. I do. I work in marketing. You're right. I have had a kind of a world, not a whirlwind, because I honestly never thought it was going to end. But a crazy decade, I think, in terms of trying to figure out what I was into and what I wanted to do with my life, I suppose. So, yeah, as you said, I started this decade on a reality tv show what's it called style wars style wars yeah what was that like uh, like honestly an awful experience i would never do reality tv again and this was like pre-social media as well so there was oh wow so it wasn't even that bad like as yeah. in you weren't waking up the next morning to ten thousand tweets telling you what an asshole you are and no. it was still awful and it was still awful yeah it oh. was um it was just a horrible experience but you know what I think? There was a period in Irish TV, of Irish television, specifically reality TV, mm-hmm. when Style Wars was on and when, do you remember my Super Sweet 16? Yeah. When there was a kind of a cruel undertone going on, like I think Irish TV producers were going, people love reality TV where there's someone to either slag or to totally hate. Yeah. It's like and the I X think factor. that was definitely a theme. Yeah, it's like the X Factor effect really, isn't it? Like, because that would have been around the time, I suppose, the X Factor and all those shows were still in the same kind of frame of mind where such a huge portion of the show was just slagging people yeah allowing people to make fools of themselves and editing the show in a certain way and I think for me it kind of made me so much more aware of reality tv and how it's filmed because there was 10 of us at the beginning obviously you know you start off with your 10 contestants normally in a show but the show is only on for like 45 minutes if you include the ad breaks but you're filming 10 people over three days so they can literally edit and show whatever they want and like it's not like anyone puts words in anyone's mouth but you can edit things so that certain people look weak or mean or bitchy or whatever because you're only seeing like a like literally five minutes yeah so no I didn't particularly enjoy it um and I never watched it either I just couldn't bring myself to watch it now and have you still never watched it I saw the final episode because I 
came second in it and the final episode was like my kind of best I think and I got obviously a lot more camera time and stuff so I think people yeah. were able to a little bit more so see I don't know who I maybe was and I, I had kind of been on a journey on it but anyway I'm not going to talk about that for ages <laughs> but that kind of got me from I didn't go to college myself well I went to fashion design college for a year but I hated it um so I dropped out after a year I never finished it and I never went back to college after that so I think you know and I understand that I would benefit from certain privilege, privileges um you know as like a white Irish person who's you know my parents have for the last couple of years not really been stuck per se like if I ever needed anything but I didn't go to college so I have had to work I think a little bit harder to kind of figure out who I am and Mm. my strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that so and to kind of figure out your skill set rather than because I think sometimes we go to college and whether or not the course that we do fits in with our particular skills you hone specific skills in specific areas whereas for you in a way, maybe you're freer to find what 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 are your your good points, but at the same time, it's tougher because you have to try and hone and develop them yourself. Yeah, and you just haven't got a clue. <laughs> I love this dog so much. <laughs> For anyone listening, I don't know if you can hear, but there's a gorgeous. Is she a lurcher? She's a greyhound. She's a, a small greyhound. greyhound. She's like the cutest dog I've ever seen. Um, sitting on the floor here, I can't stop looking at her. She's she's <laughs> very cute, but very attention seeking. I yeah. seem to I seem to only Thanks. only surround myself with attention seeking dogs. <laughs> Um, but from from the show then I was able to kind of go step up in terms of working in retail and I got into visual merchandising then and I was like very successful in that like I won awards I worked for Gap and I won awards at like a European level oh wow stuff yeah yeah so I was like really creative and that was kind of I think a way for me to hone that creativity that Mm. I had thought was I was going to be channeling into fashion design but I ended up just not being capable at all of doing that and then as you said the illustrations then they kind of took off and and why did you leave sorry why did you leave visual merchandising because of the illustrations okay yeah they just picked up so much it was around 2014 and I got a really good computer and I think social media I really started using social media around 2014 2015 and I was able to use Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that was that when you did the Kim Kardashian illustration yeah yeah so I was drawing celebrities and I'm not going to say I was one of the first to do it because I know it's obviously a very tactical thing and it was how a lot of people were getting noticed but I was doing it like all the time Mm. like I would every evening if there was like an awards show on or like if Lady Gaga had a new music video out or whatever it was like I would be sitting down and like just in my free time drawing because I didn't really I suppose I didn't really have anything else to do like you know that kind of way I wasn't working and and stuff so it was well you were working yeah because that was your work Yeah, yeah yeah At the time, but I mean, I wasn't getting paid for that. Yeah. That was just and you, and, a way and, of getting And you didn't have a nine to five at the time. Yeah. No, no. And I found that really stressful. And I'm sure you can absolutely, you know, empathize with that as somebody who's self-employed. Like it is very stressful not knowing mm. if you're going to be able to pay your rent or... Yeah. You could have a really, really good week where, like, I remember, you know, being commissioned by Cosmopolitan magazine to do these illustrations of Kim and Kanye's Disney characters, which went viral and they were on E! News and everything like that. And I got paid, like, you know, a good bit of money for that. Yeah. I think it took about 11 months to get paid. And then when it did come through, it was like, okay, well, that's my rent and stuff sorted, like, you know, for this month. And I'll have a few. Then it's gone. And you're like. 11 months. That's a record for, like, freelance payment that Mm -hmm. I've heard yeah that was pretty bad I kind of understand because it was coming from America and there's like different things it was still crazy though like it's insane and I mean that that's something that I've seen a lot of people talking about Mm -hmm. especially coming up to Christmas totally I've seen people basically going if you work somewhere where you're responsible for paying freelancers 
pay them and pay them early mm -hmm. because it's a really tough time. And But I mean, any time is a tough time when you're freelancers. And like, well, like we've had conversations as well where you've been texting me going, I haven't got paid. For, you know, have you ever worked for this person? I still haven't got paid. What's, you know, mm -hmm. what should I do? What did you do? And that's a lot, like those are a lot of the conversations that go around with Irish freelancers. Totally. But I think as well, no one ever really gets pulled up on it because no. the industry is so small and it's, it's like that industry is so small anyway, but when it's over here, it's even smaller and it's mm -hmm. all kind of whispers and like nobody actually wants to just go here you you know publicly like you have not paid me mm -hmm. you owe me two grand or a hundred quid or whatever it is and I've been hounding you for a year and you still have but nobody mm -hmm. would ever mm -hmm. do that it's all subtweets and people going god isn't it mad how like some you know publications take you know six yeah. months to but like no one people are afraid because then you're afraid you're gonna get just get cut off or yeah and I find actually that's kind of a an ongoing theme I think in the in that kind of industry yeah. over here of just I mean I think you're afraid you'll get a bad name as kind of a rabble yeah. rouser and you're also afraid in a way that you will prohibit yourself from getting work from other people yes. who know they're shit payers because there are loads like there are loads of publications in Ireland the best ones that I've seen have been like the Irish Times the Independent and the Journal mm -hmm. who will pay you when they say they'll pay you and like it's it's in your bank account and you're not following up and you're not hassling them like mm -hmm. they have kind of payrolls where they go oh we pay out on x date and it comes into your account and that's fine and then there are other publications where i mean there were kind of kind of well-known newspapers where it could take three four months to get paid yeah. or where they'd get back to you like you'd send an invoice going this is due on the 31st of november on the 31st of november they'd go oh we actually need you to send that invoice again with a po number and now it won't be like won't be paid until the 6th of january and you'd be going well that's all well and good, but I was relying on that money. I like know. it is a really tough, stressful time. I know it is. And it's like, yeah, it's just like if I did something and somebody doesn't pay me for 30 days, that's totally fine. Because in a normal job, if, you know, you start working somewhere, you generally don't get paid till the end of mm. the month. So you're working for 30 days. I think that's a stretch, probably the longest any freelancer should have to go like yeah. without being paid. I think it's crazy and I have like yourself seen so many tweets in the last couple of weeks like pay your fucking freelancers mm. but I think mm. what's actually for me personally something that I've been able to take into a job where we do pay a lot of suppliers and we do play pay a lot of freelancers and stuff um in any kind of marketing or commun communications job whether you're in an agency or you're in-house there's constantly invoices coming in mm. so I'm like straight away print them out get the PO number lash them over into the ex somebody in accounts tray and just be like can you just get that paid ASAP? sort this out yeah, yeah. yeah that'd actually be one of my top tips for anybody starting a new job is always be friends with the accounts people because if you ever do come across an invoice that you forgot about you can just slip it over and be like could you just pay that for me today? Yeah, yeah. And if if you're nice to them, they'll be nice to you. So. Yeah. And also starting out when you're, you know, you start a new job and you're on emergency tax or you're trying to sort out, it's like yeah. it really pays for them to help you. Totally, like it's, re it's totally. really important for them to yeah. want to help you. While you were doing your illustrations and mm -hmm. they were getting big and I know Chris jenner shared your kim kardashian illustration mm -hmm. did kim kardashian share it or like they kim, were all yeah. kind of sharing it weren't yeah, they yeah kim kardashian i did an illustration of kim and kanye on the cover of vogue magazine oh a yes. really controversial one and i only did it because it was really controversial and i was like right this will get a bit of traction and it did and then she put it on her instagram and twitter and everything and then that kind of went over here obviously the good the, see the other side of the industry being so small over here is when something like that happens it's massive oh everyone's talking about everyone's it. like talk. Irish illustrator Holly Short all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so it was kind of huge for me at the time so like I think there's pros and cons to the how small the industry yeah. is over here but yeah but, like I was on expose 
Did that know? translate into money jobs? Cash yeah, jobs? it did. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I was doing a lot of personalized illustrations. So I'd have like all the bloggers contacting me and like people looking for commissions. Like you, you, you have even commissioned me before. Yeah, yeah. I had one commission for my friend, friend a picture dog. of my friend and her dog. Yeah, it was yeah, gorgeous. That was a while ago. Yeah. So I would have got a good bit of work coming in, but um, it just got to the stage where, and I, again, I'm sure you can empathize with this where I actually just got sick of doing it because mm. you turn your little hobby where you do your little Lady Gaga in her Grammy's dress and you put it up and everyone gives you loads of attention and says this is fab and it gets loads of likes and shares and whatever and then that you translate that into actually having to draw Mary down the street with her three kids and the granny and it's like <laughs> and you're, you're getting paid for it and that's yeah, grand yeah. and it's a job that's totally fine but it's not the same like you know what I mean like I'm yeah. sure it's like if you were you know writing about something that you're super passionate about and you're really enjoying writing about it and you're doing it for free versus being commissioned by somebody to write yeah. about and and you, know, you know like for me personally I think that's been the real difference like I was writing freelance for I mean in total I think it was about seven years kind of on and off and I worked in Stellar and then mm. I went back to freelance and then I worked in social media went back to freelance and you do kind of lose the love for the craft or for the creative side that you love when you're being commissioned to do things that maybe you're not that interested in. So like I used to do stuff like like property pieces, which were great. And I got to go out and have, you know, have a nose at people's houses, but I'm not that interested in property mm-hmm. and I don't know that much about it. So I would really have to work really hard to put a lot of research into it to figure out what I was going to write. And then when it came to doing the writing that I was really passionate about, where I would think I really want to write an opinion piece or I really want to write a think piece about this particular topic, I'd just be kind of like, I've been writing all day. I've been doing this and I don't feel like doing this thing that I was passionate about. So now for me, that I get to do that all on Patreon and choose exactly what I write Mm -hmm. has made a huge difference to that. So like it's enabled me for, you know, for it to be creative output as well as lucrative. So like... I imagine for you, it would be almost as if you just did whatever illustrations you wanted to and then sold them on Etsy. That that's kind of the so, yes. the version of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But I do think because I have, like you, you obviously are so media savvy and you've been able to ride that kind of wave and do the, the Patreon. Is it, you pronounce it Patreon, is it? Patreon, Pat- yeah. Patreon. I think, yeah. Okay, but like you've been able to kind of hone in on that and do your podcast and still do your writing. But I suppose... I've kind of along the way since doing the illustrations discovered completely new interests and passions. Mm -hmm. So it's just not really something I'm that bothered about anymore. And I actually really enjoy the routine. Like I remember days where like I wouldn't get out of bed till like one o'clock and then I could just have a lovely big brunch. Like I would just be doing anything to just not have to sit down and actually do this work. And you might like write back to some emails and feel like I'm doing I'm doing emails. Yeah, you'd actually be doing you nothing. don't want to be doing shitty, shoddy work for people who've paid and then spend two hours later on drawing Kim Kardashian, you know, at yeah. the Met Gala. Like you, you just have to, I suppose, I, I, I kind of just have to take a step back and be like, right, what do I actually want to do? And I think for me, I really missed during that time. I re- And especially looking back at it now, and I, I wouldn't be afraid to say that I actually think I might have gone through like a period of depression mm-hmm. just for a, like a very short amount of time, maybe like, a six weeks or a month or something like that where like I couldn't actually just get out of bed mm. I didn't know where my life was going I was just like I don't see anybody all day yeah I'm I was gonna say home. you're like it's so alone like you're yeah, so alone yeah like I'm working from home like this is obviously pre you know these co-working spaces yes even being able to kind of go to cafes and sit down like it just wasn't that kind of work and I was just so lonely and I'm such a people person like I'm I love being around people I love mm. working on a team I love a routine I love 
my alarm going off at the same time every day, going in, getting me an espresso, doing my, my brushing my hair and going out the door, like, yeah, and yeah. then talking to talk to people all day and stuff. So I think that was, that just suited me. Like some people love, most people in my family work for themselves and they're just like, would you not do so? You know, would you not do something yourself? Would you not? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I really like knowing when I'm going to get paid, knowing yeah. how much I'm going to get paid, knowing all my bills are coming out. Like it just, yeah. it's such a more easier life for me, but everybody's different. Yeah. And you know what, what, one of the biggest advantages I found of working for someone else, and obviously I do love working freelance. I love working for myself and I would probably be the opposite to you in that I love being around people sometimes. Okay. And like a lot of the time I like being on my own or I like mm-hmm. having my own space and my own time and kind of silence. That was like one of the things I really struggled with when I was living with my sister for a couple of months. I realized one day the only time I'm ever alone when I'm in the US is in the car. Because mm. otherwise I'm with the kids. Though, She's four she? kids. Yeah, and I wouldn't be working with Otherwise kids. I'm with the kids or I'm, <laughs> or I'm in a cafe or something. Yeah. But one of the like the really amazing things about working for someone else is if you have a shit day where you're really not productive and you're really not feeling it, you still get paid. Whereas when you're when you're working for yourself, you have a day where you don't feel productive and you can't get anything done. Yeah, you're not getting paid. You're not getting any work done, so you're not getting any money in. This is true. Whereas when you work for someone else, you can just phone it in. And I, and, and like I'm not saying that that's what you do or that's what I do. But yeah. the odd day, you would just be like, I'm I'm just my brain isn't working today. Yeah. I'm tired or I'm not feeling that well, mm-hmm. and you still get a wage. Which is amazing. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I always say I would much prefer be hung over during the week. Because at least you're getting paid to be hung over then. <laughs> you know? That's the spirit. And it's not eating into your weekends. <laughs> so when, when did you give up the full time or like when and how did you make the decision to give up illustrating full time? Okay. So the last, okay. So it was kind of heading towards the end of 2015 and I'd been doing it for probably about two and a half years and just as well like I was doing other stuff like I was writing for newspapers mm, and yeah, I think yeah. I was doing like like a one or two days visual merchandising oh she's so cute <laughs> I'm taking this dog out with me um uh yeah so just to make sure like my rent and stuff was paid so I I saw obviously it was around the time that this kind of refugee crisis was really exploding into like mainstream media and with social media like the image of the little boy on the beach was like going viral and it was like Mm -hmm. really affecting everybody and I think I've always definitely been somebody I'm very empathetic person and I have always cared about people who might be marginalized or vulnerable people or whatever um but that was the first time I was like right sharing this picture on Facebook is not actually going to do anything Mm. like it's literally not going to do anything so I was like right I'm going to see if I can get involved in like helping collect clothes because obviously you know it's coming into winter all the conversations at the time around refugees and migrants and stuff was all focused on this refugee camp in France Calais Mm -hmm. so I organized to, to work at a collection where they were like collecting clothes and stuff like that which was a huge amount of work and honestly I have to say like if you if anyone is ever organizing something like that or if you are contributing stuff to that like people were literally bringing bags of their dirty washing down mm. like I remember opening up a black sack and it was just a big bag of odd socks all different ages there was like newborn baby <laughs> socks up to like granddad socks with holes in them and I was like these are human beings that we're giving this stuff mm. to like this is not 
you know, we're not stuffing cushions with this stuff. Like, so. Although that'd be a good idea to do with your old socks. Yes, true. But you've got a load of fucking volunteers down there trying oh, yeah, to yeah, sort yeah, through yeah, all yeah. this Sorry. stuff. Sorry, I'm not crazy. suggesting like, that you oh, should no, have no, done know, that. But, I'm, but just, I'm just like, in I, general. I get that people have the best intentions. But anyway, that from trying to organize and kind of be part of that, I ended up actually joining a convoy that was going there. So we went over for a week. We were on, we went over on a ferry. Like I'd never met any of these people before in my life. It was mm-hmm. like 50 strangers and it was kind of medics and... And sorry, um, yeah. like not to sound like an absolute simpleton, mm. were you freaked? Yeah, I was completely freaked. I yeah. was so scared because my my perception of what I was going over to was um, I'd seen so many videos and photos of the camps over in Lesvos, which is generally where the women and children kind of stay, I think, when the families mm-hmm. come over and then like the man and the family will make that like very treacherous journey across. Yeah. Europe to kind of get to Calais and then, yeah, and then hopefully get to the hopefully, UK yeah. and then you can apply for the family reunification process because mm-hmm. it's actually a lot shorter over there than it is anywhere else. So I was like, oh, I was like, I'm going to be doing arts and crafts with the kids. You know, I'm going to be playing in these, I'm going to be giving all these playing babies and getting to, you know, whatever. And then... <laughs> Signed up, like, you know, got my insurance, paid whatever I had to pay for the boat and read that the camp was 98% men and there was 10,000 people in the camp. And I'm not actually not going to lie, like, I genuinely was, like, saying goodbye to my parents and thinking it might be the last time I ever see them. I was fully expecting that something awful was going to happen to me. Mm. And... I was terrified, but I was like, I've signed up for it now. Like people have donated money. Like people have, I've fundraised loads of money. I've been part of organizing this trip. Like I cannot pull out. Like I just can't pull out. But I was Mm. like. That's where you and I differ again. Because I think I'd be like, I'm not going. Well, Sorry, I'm not well. Do you know what? I just went, fuck it. Like I'll go over, see what happens. And I did go over and like, first of all, nothing happened. I mean, I don't think I've ever felt more welcome somewhere in my entire life. And it really opened my eyes, I think, to the narrative that is fed about these people and particularly these men in mainstream media, like over here and stuff that like, you know, oh, they're this and they're that and stuff. And it's like, well, no, they're actually just like your dad, your brother, like they're, mm. act, they're just mm. more tanned. <laughs> well, they're, they're just they have different traditions and different yeah. cultures and they might wear different clothes and they might have different hair or whatever it is. I think fundamentally it just it comes down to racism. I don't even think it's a fear most of the time. I think it is just superiority kind of complex you see it down in all these like oh we don't want these people here and it's like why because they've got brown fucking skin like and they're you know mm. they, they don't speak English it's like it, it to me it makes no sense that you would just assume that somebody is dangerous because I mean there's what like there's t- nearly two billion Muslims in in the in the world I mean if they wanted t- to wipe us out they could like do you know what I mean it's just such a stupid argument that because somebody has a different belief and like I have friends this is what annoys me as well like I have friends who like would consider themselves Catholic but they drink or they're you know they might be gay or whatever and I have friends who are Muslim who are the same like there's so many levels to the faith it's not like every single person Islam is is not a monolith like to the the Quran or whatever so like that those were loads of different things that I kind of learned when I went over there and like we hung out with loads we've hung out with people from countries I'd never even heard of like Eritrea and that I could never heard of Eritrea and and there was you know we saw small little bits of conflict here and there which is obviously going to happen if you've 10,000 people in any yeah relatively all, confined space all different cultures there, yeah of course there's going to be conflict like it was it was mad like I'm not gonna lie it was such an experience but when I came home then I was put on the communications team which meant 
like I was on a team that was actively going out and trying to find people who could speak English or trying to get like translating someone to translate and like interviewing them and then like feeding back the stories we did like articles I think with the journal and the Irish Times and her daddy and mm. stuff like that and like um I was so not to do the whole white savior thing but like I'm not gonna lie and say that it didn't like deeply affect who I was mm. as a person like just some of the stuff that they were through and the, the treatment of these people by the French authorities was appalling like mm. the French the gendarmerie they're called the police over there like they were vile to these people beating them up when they were asleep like literally waking teenagers up but beating them up like met one kid who was like 17 or 18 who told me that he rings his mom every week and she thinks he's in the UK and he's telling her he's got a job and you know everything's going great for him and he's loads of friends and he's really safe like she actually he was lying to her he didn't want her to worry basically because nobody goes over there and thinks that they're going to be there for three or six months Mm. you know that kind of way so came back anyway and I was just in a state of shock I think it was just like this insane because I'd never done anything like that before and then I went back sorry then I decided right okay like and this is no shade to anyone I still watch the Kardashians and stuff but I was like I am not spending what free precious time I have during the day drawing Kim Kardashian like there's just more important things I could spend my time doing and you know I need I need to refocus I need to get a job I need to find out where I'm going like what am I doing with my life so I decided to start looking for work and I think because I was somebody who did kind of know how to use social media I got Mm -hmm. a job very quickly I was very lucky Um, well because you had spent so many years building and maintaining your own brand I think so Yeah. yeah I think ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, if you've got that, if you understand how the platforms work and you've got that, I suppose, like a bit of wit and a bit of personality, mm. you can definitely tr- to translate that through to brands and help brands kind yeah. of create their own content. And, and I mean, and you also would have worked with. PR and marketing companies and you would have had a lot of contacts in the industry from years of working you know in yeah. journalism and illustrating for different magazines and yeah. stuff so and through social media as well yeah so like those are the types of little privileges that I was you know mentioning earlier that I understand that I would benefit from no but, but I mean so like yes there there are privileges but I also think it's kind of a testament to the work that you put in, like not just in terms of actual work, but in terms of networking, which is also work. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So like that was all work to add to your CV, whether you like, you can't write down, I'm mates with these six people who work in PR, but that is important in Ireland. Yeah, that's true. Like it's really important. It is. It's who you know and it's your connections and stuff. So I got the job anyway. So I was account manager for a social media agency. And then I also love how you're like, I decided like life was too short and it was too precious. I need to do something better than, than drawing Kim Kardashian. Like, so I got a job in marketing. 
no, I no, I know what, what I'm I know, what I, I mean is is that like I just needed a new focus and kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. Else no, I mean, to do. you something know, to pay my bills so that I would have a routine and I would be able to, I suppose, get involved in different things yeah. after or whatever. But I did go back again a second time over to the camp just with two girls the next time. One of them was making a documentary and we went over for. We're there for New Year's. I think I went the day after Christmas and we were there till the 2nd of January. And then I started that job on the 4th of January. Wow. With like a stomach ulcer and literally Yeah, so you really gave was, yourself a great break. I know. I was like, what was I thinking? I was so sick. Yeah, so I threw myself into that and then I kind of got... But that's also a really good way to start a new job. Like to be like, I'm just back from Calais. <laughs> Like, hi, I'm Holly and I'm just back from helping I don't know people. if anyone gave a shit. Like, I was still like, I was like a little shell. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired and stuff. It was mad though, because we went, the next, the second time we went over, there were still people there. Like, we were meeting back up with guys that we had met in October oh. and they were still there. And they'd yeah. like, some of them, it was like they were losing their minds. Like, they, all their stuff was gone. Like, everything yeah. that they'd had when they'd arrived, they'd had to like barter for different things. Like, it was just mental. Like, it's so sad. But since then, two of the guys we've helped be reunited with their families. One's actually in Canada and the other one is in the UK. And I'm still in contact with both of them. And one of them's actually gone on to have another baby with us. Oh, which is so nice. So, there, that's some two nice stories. Because I think you can kind of go into situations like that and be like, I have to save every single person here. But I think if you do, just make those connections with a couple of people and even if they're the only people that mm. you can help then that's sometimes that's all you need to do yes yeah, so I was still kind of involved in the like there was a refugee kind of I think it was I can't even remember it was a terrible memory Calais Refugee Solidarity Ireland mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. one of these so we were kind of still doing outreach and stuff like that and then I and yeah, so, so kind of more you, like getting involved and going to protests and yeah, rallies. Yeah. And that, those were the kind of things that I was spending my free time doing. Like we stood outside the doll every Wednesday for probably eight or nine weeks. A group of 30 of us that had gone over to Calais until Francis Fitzgerald, who was the Minister for Children at the time, agreed to take in 200 of, because the whole camp was being dismantled mm. at this stage. So eventually we put so much pressure on her. And obviously loads of other organisations mm. as well that she agreed to take in and the have, bare minimum but 200 have, kids. Have we taken them in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They were taken. That was probably about three years ago now. Two and a half, three years. I also love how it's like, it was 99% men but we'll take in 200 kids. <laughs> like, not the men, just the nice kids. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I don't know what, I don't know. It's The whole thing is just a mess. I don't know. Half the people are still living under bridges in Paris. They all just got moved out and they all just went to Paris. Like At least they've got some great museums to go and visit. <laughs> it's it's All awful. the culture. No, it's, it's terrible. Tragic. So do you think, I mean, this might be, this is probably a stupid question because I know that you still do go to protests mm-hmm. and you're still very active. Do you think protesting actually has the power to change things? Yeah. Or, or does it just increase visibility and increase awareness? You know what I mean? No, it totally has the power to change things. I think you only have to look at the right to water protests to see how people power. Now, like, you know, 300 people standing outside the doll on a Wednesday is not necessarily going to change you know, turn the world upside down. That's why it's so important for people to go mm. to to rallies and demos and protests because there's there is so much power in people. But yeah, the right to water. So obviously, when we the Irish water was established and everyone started getting bills for turning their taps on out of nowhere, I paid it. Good for you. I'm I'm one of the few fucking idiots. No, I mean, <laughs> thankfully, I got that money back. You got like, it back, yeah. But the reason you got it back and the reason that that is whole because thing was shut protested, down was because yeah. people 
protested and some people protested by simply tearing up the letters some people protested by sending them back some people protested by not paying people had like there was so many levels to the protesting but the thing that really really affect like that really created that change and kind of exposed corruption that was that whole situation was the people out the ordinary person out Mm. on the street Every fucking weekend, people were out there. It was nuts. Tens of thousands of people were out there. So now it definitely does work, but that it's so important that people do show up. And I mean, if there was a protest tomorrow and 150,000 people showed up to it to end direct provision, action would have to be taken. Like somebody at top level would have to take that seriously. Like it cannot continue that it's just 150, 200 people outside the doll on a Tuesday evening. Like people have to get involved in this stuff. And they have to start caring, like, because, you know, that's, I won't say it's the only way things are going to change, but it no, does but it change, is, it but does it is change one, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I do also think that it does come down to people just not giving a shit and people not caring unless it's something that directly affects, affects, them. affects them. So that's yeah. why there's not thousands of people at direct provision marches because and just if anyone's listening to this and doesn't know direct provision it's obviously the it was set up in 1999 as a temporary measure to kind of help process asylum seekers coming into the country that was over 20 years ago and it is still the process being used and it is inhumane it has been referred to as inhumane and breaching human rights at like a un level so many people are calling for it to be shut down. People are dying in there. People are killing themselves in there. Like it is horrific, the situation. People yeah. cannot cook for themselves. People. Are what happens is that um, asylum awful. seekers who enter who enter the country are quote unquote temporarily put into quote unquote temporary com- accommodation that could be a hotel that was shut mm-hmm. down during the recession, or it could be an old community center or a hall. You know, mm-hmm. there's various different buildings that have been converted Mosney uh, Mosney is one of the best examples that the kind of the some the, the camp at, at Mosney has now basically become a kind of an internment camp for yeah. asylum seekers who have not yet got refugee status they're given is it still 19 euro a week I think it might have gone up to 33 something for adults and 20 quid or something like that for for children and that's it and they can't work they can't access higher education. I think minors can go to school, can't mm-hmm. they? But adults can't go to college. They can't contribute to society. They can't get involved in any way. And they also can't basically live their lives because they can't buy anything for themselves. And, you know, there are these arguments like, well, you know, all of their needs are being looked after while their asylum claim is being processed. But humans have needs above and beyond food and water and shelter. Yeah. And like, you know, if we're talking about the hierarchy of needs, those are pretty high up there. But direct provision now sees people in direct provision for up to seven and eight years. Yeah, that's, I, read, I read a story. Absolutely you, bizarre. It's crazy. Like your life is on hold. You lose such, as far as I can ascertain from listening to people who've been in, in that situation, you lose such a sense of who you are. You lose your traditions. You can't teach your kids how to cook your granny's mm-hmm. such and such meal. You, you also, I mean... Like, this sounds like a silly thing, yeah. but this is one of the most striking things to me. You have a curfew. And not only do you have curfews, so you, you know, so like a curfew, obviously you have to be in at a certain time, but you basically can't, there's no independence to your life. You also have to eat at certain times. Mm-hmm. And if you don't eat your lunch at a certain time, you don't get lunch. So like, yeah. if you're not there to eat your lunch between whatever, one and three, you don't get fed. So yeah. like, you don't get to decide for yourself. There's no agency in I'm hungry now, or I'm not hungry now. I'm going to have a snack. I'm going to 
make myself a sandwich like you have no freedoms whatsoever and yeah and never knowing if you're going to be able to actually stay I mean I know of people who've been in it for eight ten years and then, and been then they've been declined and yeah. been told you have to go home like and what are you going home to like who knows and also people there seems to be this rhetoric where people think oh asylum seekers are coming over here and it's costing the state like they're taking the money and stuff like that as you said they're getting fucking nothing they're getting the equivalent of going what we would spend in spa on a box of smokes and a bottle of wine like do you know what I mean every week but there's 10 companies catering property the whole lot that are getting in excess of 10 million euro each a year to Mm. run these places I think your man in Mosny has gotten around I think it's something crazy it's like tens of millions over the last 20 years and the facilities in there, you wouldn't put a fucking dog in these places. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, it's a scam. Like the whole thing is one of these back scratching scams, in my opinion. But yeah, <laughs> no, it's a disgrace. And I think more people do have to, to to really just go, what are we doing? I think it's so easy to look at the states and the ICE stuff over there with, you know, the non-nationals being put into, migrants being put into these camps and stuff like that. Kids, kids, kids separated being separated from their parents. The whole yeah. we all, I think everybody needs to look a little bit closer to home. Definitely. That we, yeah. We all like to be very outraged about things that are very far away from us sometimes. Yeah. And I would like, you know, not to keep going on about it, but that's why the water protests were so, there were so many people at them because it affected everybody. Directly affected our, yeah. everyone's pockets. Yeah. So and like specifically, there, yeah. There needs to be more people, you know, there needs to be more people at the pride parades. There needs to be more people going to housing protests, poverty protests, austerity protests, like, you know, anti-racism stuff. They're just like, mm. and you, you said like, oh, you could be out doing your shop. And most of these protests happen on O'Connell Street. I've often taken a break from having lunch or a break mm. from pennies to just you just all you have to do is go out and stand there for half yeah, an hour yeah. and you're counted as another person it's yeah, no effort yeah. at all bring the dogs to get a coffee like it's I've it's actually brought my dog hard. to a lot of protests and she hates them <laughs> because either she sees other dogs she wants to play with or she Aww. just has too many people there is a lot of people yeah yeah, yeah there yeah. is you can always kind of go on the outskirts but anyway yeah there's a protest on today that I'm going to after this so it's a rally for peace because there's obviously the whole world Not is enough burning to the ground yeah but speaking of pride yes Tell me about, so from, you were working in an agency in social media Mm -hmm. and then you went to work for Repack. Yes. So I went into Repack as kind of a marketing, you know, there was like the head of marketing communications and I kind of went in as her, I suppose, assistant and then kind of that title didn't really work anymore because I was doing a lot more than that. So I was, you know, marketing and communications executive and I was there for nearly three years, lovely place to work, learned so much just in terms of like just marketing and Mm. you know working on teams with different people and sales and like there's so much to that organization and it's obviously Ireland's like recycling compliance scheme and you know just got loads of contacts through you know we would work with a lot of the big producers and and the supermarkets to help them kind of where we did reduce their packaging and stuff like that and there was like the consumer side then as well so these big campaigns to try and encourage people to recycle mm-hmm. and recycle properly and stuff like that so we're still was, crap aren't we no as a nation no oh, are we're we not? really good at recycling yeah oh, so i thought china wasn't taking her recycling anymore because we were crap um is that a dirty rumor no okay so basically um really quickly i'll try and explain that so sorry ireland has reached every single one of its recycling targets 
every single year since Repack was established to kind of monitor that in 1997. Um, we like we smash most of the targets. So the European target for us, I think, say for glass might be 50 percent. We recycle nearly 90 percent okay. of our glass. So we're for wood. I think it's something really small, like it's like 20 percent we have to recycle. We recycle 95 percent. Okay. So we smash every single one of the targets. But the, the, the target for plastic has always been really low. So the target for plastic that the that Europe sets for mm-hmm. us is 22.5%. So we only have to recycle and we won't get fined then. And, you know, okay, once we recycle yeah. that much. But that's obviously a tiny amount and plastic is like the biggest scourge on the planet at mm-hmm. the moment. Ireland currently recycles about 38% of its plastic. But... There's obviously all this new policy and legislation coming down the line with the like single-use plastic directive, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. waste frame directive, the hierarchy, all this stuff. So that is going to be increased from that 22.5% to 50% okay, over the next five years yeah. and then to 55% by 2030. So people might think, Asha, that's grand. It's only a few percent. It's like a million more tons of plastic recycling it is a huge like you're doubling what we already do and we already do loads yeah so no we're not crap at recycling but the reason china stopped taking our waste was because the quality of what people like you and i recycle was really poor because people were throwing newspapers in the recycling bin and then throwing the takeaway with the chinese with the oil or whatever in it on top and then this is all getting bailed up and going yes, out to china okay, and yeah, they can't yeah. do anything with it um and that's why they stopped um the the waste collectors over here stopped taking plastic the soft plastic because we don't have the infrastructure yet where the machines can tell the difference between a really thin piece of plastic and a piece of paper Mm -hmm. and china was only would only allow for say like one percent of contamination in the bales of paper but it was that like and they were very highly contaminated so they just went they literally i literally say 50 percent of that's from my mom (laughs) every single day i'm like mom like today she swept a big bunch of crumbs and a dead fly, gross, <laughs> off the table and put it in with the paper recycling. And I was oh, like, ma'am, you can't recycle flies. I think my granny told me she put a dead bird in the compost bin or something the other day. Oh, Which, that'd be to fine. be fair, is probably the right place for it. But the mm. bones, the bones, you're not supposed to put bones in the compost In the compost? Bin. No. I sh- mm. Stop. Mm-hmm. I, I think know. I was putting bones in my know what? It's a minefield out there, but it's my, a personal responsibility thing. Look up yourself. What my dad put, put a cat in the black bin once. Oh my god! Well, well, like the cat got hit by a car and was and was killed, and then we, I was very upset, and we went outside to bury the cat. It was lashing rain, and this doesn't make my dad sound good at all, but it was lashing rain, and I was crying, and he was, I think, pretending to cry, and he was like, "Listen, love, why don't you go inside and I'll finish this?" And then years later, he admitted to me that he put the cat in the black bin. Wow, that probably would have ended up in landfill. Yeah, hopefully, I was going to say an incinerator, but I don't oh think... well, incinerator be grand. Either way, gross. Listen, listen, we have to wrap it up. But tell me, like, oh, (laughs) well, listen, Irish people always have 10,000 more things to say. So like every episode could be three hours. Tell me what is, what's your next step? My next step. So you're making a big step. I am. I'm emigrating. So I'm moving to Manchester in January, which I'm really excited about. And I'm going to be working as the marketing manager for Manchester Pride, um, which I've gone to myself for the last couple of years. So I'm so excited about that. I suppose we didn't really get to go into it, but I'm very heavily involved in LGBTQ activism so supporting I suppose and kind of championing the rights of the community wherever I can. How did that happen? Was that just because you have a lot of friends in like 
in the community or honestly yeah yeah Yeah, I think listening to people listening to the different struggles that people have gone through um the different problems the different issues people are facing every single fucking day of their lives and especially I think since the marriage referendum passed people think straight people think oh sure that's grand everything solved now yeah and it's not the case at all like it really isn't so yeah so I would be involved in a couple of different groups and stuff so yeah so I just I guess and why 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 Manchester of all places um well, I've loads of friends over there so through social media I met like a group of people kind of maybe five years ago at this stage and then we decided oh like let's you know be friends in real life and like we we kind of met up um yeah just kind of became best friends they come over here I go over there constantly I just feel like they're my people you know that kind yeah. of way we just meet a group of people and you're like no like those are tribe. my best friends yeah. yeah so I'm moving in January to I suppose just fancy a change like I'm 30 I, t- I turned out a big year um <laughs> not just a big decade but I ended the decade on a on a, on, a, on a big bang so I just fancy a change something different so I'm heading over there now in fucking middle of Brexit I don't know what I'm I was doing. just about to say what will Brexit mean for your work over there I mean probably nothing I can I have dual citizenship because my mom was born in the UK okay perfect so again so you don't need to li- worry about it the little okay, privileges yeah. that I that I yeah. that I have um so I think I'm going to be okay in terms of like living and working and stuff but yeah, like a Manchester Pride is not just the festival. It is like the leading charity for LGBTQ people in Manchester. And everything at the core of what they do is to kind of drive equality and opportunities for the community in Manchester and greater Manchester. So I'm so excited. It's like my dream job. I still am like pinching myself. I'm like, is this real life? So I'm just can't wait to go over and get stuck in. It is kind of mad how your I guess like your social life or your your passions, your relationships have now translated into this job that kind of fits in perfectly with with all of that. Yeah, if that makes sense. What, what what would you say to people who would like to get involved in activism or who would like to, you know, like I think there are a lot of people who think that's an interesting protest. I should go. But because their friends aren't engaged mm-hmm. or they don't feel like they've anyone to go with or they also feel like, oh, that's for that's not for me. That's for activists and I'm not mm-hmm. an activist I'm just a normal person what would you say to people like I think try just try and engage your friends to go or engage one person to go and just say look I know we said we were going to go for a coffee on Saturday but I actually saw this thing on it's actually just on around the corner why don't we just get a coffee to go I'd love to see some of the speakers in a keep it. cup in a keep cup of course <laughs> paper straw um but you know and just I suppose t- just like I probably wouldn't go to something on my own I know you were Mm. saying earlier you love your own company I am like a demon when I'm on my own I can't just can't cope so I would always want to go with friends and stuff Mm. to these things I think but you know what I went to the housing protest Mm. probably this time last year Mm. I think it was was cold anyway yes or was it the Magdalene there was another one about the uh, protest about turning the last Magdalene laundry into I mean probably a hotel I can't Mm -hmm. remember what, what exactly they were talking about turning it into but anytime I've gone to a protest on my own, well, not on my own, so I brought my dog, but kind of on my own, she can't talk. I've met people I know. That's the thing. Yeah, you will. You bump into someone. Probably you bump know. into somebody. And I think as well, if you want to get involved, but you're not great in crowds and stuff, you can actually go to the meetings and stuff. There's mm. often, you'll see stuff shared on Facebook. And I think just finding out what it is that you you really care about and applying yourself to that. I know like, 
everyone has different skill sets and your skill set could be that you're somebody who's amazing on a megaphone screaming Hmm. stuff walking down the street I wouldn't be able to do that no um but I might be able to do a content calendar of social media posts for an organization that's that's not going to cost them anything but Mm. might you know drum up some PR coverage or some they might go viral or you know something like this or maybe it's a press release or maybe you're really good at art and you can make signs like there's so many ways to apply your own personal skills and kind of talent you know what most of us can show up mm-hmm. and I think one of That's the things the that yeah, yeah well I think one of the things that the media does a really bad job of is making it look like everybody's wearing the t-shirt and, and and waving the flag and screaming into the megaphone whereas any protest I've ever gone to I haven't chanted once because I'm not I'm not a chanter mm-hmm. I've walked to the back because I'm just going it's important to be counted but I know as well for those who are differently abled they might not be able to make it out into town to a protest yeah, yeah. so those are people who like other steps you can take is to amplify other people on social media to talk about things to start conversations with your friends like you don't always have to show up physically to show up for a cause oh no totally you can just share something you can retweet the organization's tweet with all the information you know you can even email them and say look you know I I can't I'm not in a position where I can actually go you might not be in Dublin I mean we're just obviously assuming everyone listening to the podcast is in Dublin where all these things happen it just might not be possible for you to go and which is completely fine as well but I think if it is possible for you to go go like do you know what I mean there's Mm. so many people that it is completely possible for them to attend these things and Mm. they don't I mean and they're also never that long either no they're not they're no, not and they're like, really interesting like you learn yeah, so yeah. much I mean Jesus like did you see the one on the news last night it was from about three years ago I think it was a guard got charged with like striking an RTE cameraman with oh yeah I was at yeah. that protest it was mad like the whole thing was just nuts and like that's on the news last night yeah and it was so long ago but yeah like these things are always going on there's always something going on yeah, like, yeah. um and like you know if you like music as well the housing protest I went to had some great bands mm-hmm. but there was some great music at that yeah it's lovely and that's something that could affect anybody at any time as well housing like anybody yeah. can have the rug pulled from under them at any time for any even reason. for Mick Wallace TD I know on which note <laughs> Please don't end on Mick Wallace. <laughs> well, I wanted to end on a joke rather than ending sounding very preachy. I think it's kind of nicer. Holly, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you Where so can much. people follow you, follow your quote-unquote journey? My journey. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just Holly Shortall, S-H-O-R-T-A-L-L. And I actually also started up a... Patreon? Patreon. So I'm going to be writing all about my life in manchester and that's patreon.com slash deserved x deserved x yeah that's my little catchphrase um yeah so i'm looking forward to that so i had my tarot cards done last week by an amazing girl called sarah griffin so i did a post on all the little nuggets that were in there that were really exciting so which i read and then sneakily sent to my friend did you do a little screenshot little sneaky screenshot no no i just forwarded the email because you know all of your posts get directly put into people's right, emails, okay. emails. Chain so, mail. so they can forward them so like i usually say at the end which is kind of my guilt thing that i'm like feel free to forward to a friend maybe they'll subscribe too because i'm hoping oh. if a friend reads it and then feels scabby love that you know what i mean but thank you so much thanks for, for coming in um, all of holly's handles and links and everything will be in the show notes thank you so much to my producer liam garrity whose own podcast meet your maker you can find everywhere you listen to podcasts so 
wherever you're listening to this and at meetyourmaker.ie and if you would like to support me the work I'm doing and the book that I am hopefully publishing in 2020 you can subscribe to read all of my writing at patreon.com slash rosemary mccabe with an a on my mac that's rosemary m-a-c-c-a-b-e I publish a minimum of three articles per week if you pay eight dollars you get four and that's eight dollars a month so that's like 16 articles for 18 it's pretty good it's pretty good money you can do that at patreon.com slash rosemary mccabe you can follow me at Rosemary McCabe again with an A on my Mac and I will catch you next time have a very happy Christmas and a wonderful new year (laughs) fab How To Be Sound is a member of The Warren the home of great Irish podcasts you can check out more shows on thewarren.ie Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.